Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Let's go ahead and pray as we open up Matthew chapter 25 today. Father, we do thank you today for your word, and I'm excited to share this time with some friends and those from our church family. I pray that you would bless it, strengthen us today. We just confess that in the midst of the times that we're in, we know that, Lord, you are the hope of the world, you're the light of the world, and you've committed your power to your church to be that light in the world. We need you, Lord, to do what you've called us to. Father, would you help us to be your hands and your feet and your voice. Use this time to encourage us by your word today so that we would be all that you want us to be. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' mighty name, mighty name. Amen. I want to just say something uh, as we do open the Bible. The first was this. Uh, in case you're not sure what passages we're reading today, it's 2 Samuel 2, 1 Chronicles 11, and Matthew 25. We're only going to look at Matthew 25 because I try to just mix it up. I'll focus on a book in the Old Testament and then a book in the New Testament. I want to let you know for the future something that I've decided to do. Instead of just going through the daily uh, Bible reading plan, I'm going to talk about the daily Bible reading plan through our Wednesday through Friday broadcast. But instead of doing that, I've just decided to go all the way through the New Testament and then we'll go all the way through the Old Testament. What I mean by that is we only have so much time together and I feel like we keep jumping and so since I'm not on here every day and I don't have the time to do that and I need to take days off too, what I want to do is just be able to go all the way through the book of Matthew, all the way through each book of the Bible. So I'm actually going to retitle the broadcast. Um, maybe it's going to be called Book by Book. I don't really know. But we'll be here Wednesday through Friday at 8 a.m. And I just want to go through every book of the Bible. So that's actually my vision is to go through every single chapter and to do that with you. And so, and, and we'll mention the daily Bible reading plan, but that's my goal is really just to go through the Bible together. And I think that this way we won't miss any chapters because when we're jumping into chapter 25 of the book of Matthew, I feel like we've missed so many things and I constantly have this need to want to remind us of the last many days that we haven't been together. And so I just think it'd be great to go chapter by chapter by chapter. That's my heart. And so that's going to happen, I believe, probably after the book of Matthew, which is starting next Wednesday is when we'll just jump right into probably just go through the rest of the Gospels and then the book of Acts. And so I look forward to being able to do that with you. Of course, we're going to keep focusing on the daily Bible reading plan because my goal with that is to get everybody in the Word and to have a plan that we all use so that we can do this together. And so that's my hope. Maybe I'll change that tomorrow. I don't really know. Anyways, just want to let you know what's in my head and how I'm making progress and what I'm thinking and what I really want this to be about as we spend this time together. Now, assuming that you've already read Matthew chapter 25, let me go ahead and just say this. You can't fully understand Matthew 25 if you haven't read Matthew 24. Now, Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the signs of his coming, the parousia, his coming into um, this eschatological time, right? The end times are unfolding. Jesus is returning. The disciples aren't fully understanding what Jesus is saying at this time. And there's a lot of, to them, it's very cryptic code that's happening. But we know that Jesus is just saying that according to his second coming, the, 
eschatology that he is teaching is completely different from what they understood. They did not understand a first and a second coming, the now and the not yet, the inauguration and the consummation of the kingdom of heaven. They did not realize that. There's a good book uh, by George Ladd called The Now and Not Yet. It talks about the kingdom of God. And this is not a theology that Jews had at that time, nor his disciples who were Jewish. They were expecting the Messiah to do something different than what Jesus actually was going to do. And so Jesus talks about the signs of his return, and they're thinking tomorrow, they're thinking next week, and Jesus, of course, is projecting things as a future unfolding. In addition to that, Jesus also, at the end of Matthew 24, he specifically talks about the need for his disciples and anybody that would have heard him and now read what he, what he was saying would be ready for his coming. He really makes this an important piece of, of discipleship that people would be ready, they would be expecting, they would be waiting for and longing for his coming. And so on the tail end of that particular passage in Matthew 24, he goes into telling a parable. So they're all connected. Once again, it was in the 1500s that chapters and verses were added to the Bible. They were just a text before that. And so we know Matthew 25 is an extension of this conversation in Matthew 24. It's not a separate conversation. It's one and the same. So let's go ahead and read the parable of what's called the Ten Virgins. And this is Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. I'll go ahead and read it and make some comments. Here's what it says. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent or, or wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil and flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to fall asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and for you as well. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. And that should just sear right into our minds. I do not know you. And then Jesus makes this comment after the parable. Be on alert then, for you do not know the day or the hour. This parable underscores the important truth that Jesus had already said in Matthew 24, that his people need to be ready, waiting, expecting. This concept of the Messiah being the bridegroom, or we would just use the term groom in, in our culture, this concept is in Isaiah chapter 54. We also read about it in Hosea chapter 2. This is in the Old Testament. But the Messiah being the bridegroom is also found through the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew prior to this, and also John the Baptist. So we have this credible illustration metaphor being used in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. So when Jesus shares this parable, it's in keeping with what's already been said about the Messiah. Now Jesus is just bringing things full circle, and he's using this as an illustration, the wedding feast, which he's already done. He's talked about the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. He's using it again, but with a different purpose, talking about 
being ready. And that really is the main point. The bridegroom and his friends would basically, and just to understand uh, the wedding custom or, or how this would work, basically the, the groom and his friends would have a number of things that they would do within a certain, certain ceremonies that they would have. They would leave the father's and mother's house and they would be on their way to the bride, to the bride's home where she lived with her father and mother. And so during that time, there were several ceremonies that took place. This would, evening would fall upon them as this procession would go. And there would be a procession throughout the streets. So people would join in. As the bridegroom made his way to the bride's home, after several things had already happened, the bride would then join this procession and it would be night at this point. Now, the virgins that it's being, that's being talked about here, they were, they were those that would assist the bride. They probably had been doing that all day and they were waiting in their home for this procession to go by. When the procession would go by, they would also go out and join as well and assist the bride in whatever way, all the way to the point of the wedding feast. So here we have these 10 virgins that are waiting for the procession to come near to their home. And as that, that procession comes near, there would be a shout, the bridegroom is coming. So whether that's on his going to the bride's house or going to the wedding feast, either way, there'd be this shout and people would come out of their homes and join the, festivity, the festivities. This is what would happen. There's a lot of things I'm not sharing about a wedding custom, but that's sort of the basic idea. So here we have the 10 virgins who are waiting. And so this is their whole day is just to wait for this wedding feast, is to wait for this procession so that they could be a part of it. Now, the part that Jesus is, is making uh, a point about is that every person needed to have a lamp. And that was the expectation. You had to have your own lamp because when nightfall came, um, you, would have, you, you were responsible to lighting your own path, okay? So typically, it'd be sort of this old school lamp and there would be a rag that was soaked in oil and it was lit. That rag didn't have a whole lot of oil on it, and so at some point it would dry out and the flame would go out. And so you had to have a flask of oil so you could keep dousing that rag so that it would stay lit. You know, the young people today say, that's lit. Okay, so it would have to stay lit. If I were preaching this, I would call it stay lit. That's what I would call it. But anyways, I'm not preaching this. We're just talking it out. So, so it'd have to stay lit. You'd have to continue to douse it a little bit so you'd have enough to get, every, to get all the where you're going. And so here we have five that were wise and they had prepared themselves. Not only did they have their lamp, but they had the oil. The other five did not have enough oil for their lamp. Everybody had a lamp. And so when the bridegroom came, all of a sudden the shout came and five of the virgins realized, I don't have, I don't have enough oil for my lamp to stay lit. And so they're saying, why don't you share it with us? But the other five didn't have enough to share. And so that's part of the point is, is that you can't literally make it off of somebody else's oil. You, you will not have enough and they will not have enough to share with you. And so you have to be prepared. And the whole point that Jesus is making here is in order to fully participate in the kingdom of God, in, in order to be in, in order to embrace all that is happening and all that Jesus is making the way for, you have to be prepared. You know, you can't trust and rely upon someone else's preparation. You yourselves, we have to be prepared. And he's making that point very successfully. You must be ready and prepared. And so he uses this as the illustration for what that looks like and what that means. And I just made some 
uh, some points here. Number one, obviously, we must be ready, and that means expecting, waiting for, and focused on. We must be focused on the Lord's return. Why is this just such an important comment to make? Because we can get utterly and completely distracted by everything else. The grip of this life, the power of the world system, and by the way, there is a demonic strategy to distract us and destroy us so that we are not focused on the Lord, His return, and His will in, in this period of time prior to His coming. And we, so we have to stay ready. And staying ready is not like sitting on our couch, praying all day, Lord return, Lord return. It's to be about his business. And actually there's the, what's called the parable of the talents, which is right after this parable. I'm going to, I'm going to briefly mention it. And that is how Jesus explains us being ready looks like. In order for us to be ready, it looks like something. You know what it looks like? It looks like us taking what he's given us investing that into the world that we live in, that we live our life intentionally with a focus, with this stewardship mentality, so that we are like literally doing all that he has called us to do as he returns. So this is what it's all about. And actually the parable of the talents is his explanation and how or what waiting looks like, in, in my opinion. The second thing, so we must be ready. The second thing is our actions matter right now. You notice in the story, they were waiting, but five of them had already prepared and five of them had not. And this really means that whatever they had done for the last several days, up until this last moment, this point, was not, it was not enough. They were not prepared. And so their prior actions, right, were the, th were the things that dismantled and discounted their, that moment that they were in, like they did not do what they needed to do up until this point. And so, yeah, they were kind of waiting, kind of ready. And this tells us what? This means that both of them had the knowledge of the bridegroom. Both of them were kind of aware that he was and that he was coming. They knew that this was going to happen. But there was a difference between the five that were prepared and the five that weren't. Some had literally lived their life over the last week or two or however long, in such a way where that moment would matter. That moment would literally come and they would have no regrets. And for the other five, they would have regrets and they realize, oh my gosh, I better like scurry and do whatever I've got to do to get ready in this moment. And so I'm just saying our actions matter right now. We have to live today in light of tomorrow. And if we're not doing that, Jesus would use this passage and this parable to tell us as his people that we need to live today as though we anticipate his coming tomorrow. This, this is our reality. We do not know the day or the hour, so we need to be about his business, and that's what it means to wait, watch, and pray. Number three, our choices uh, are moving us toward his coming or away from his coming. So it's the same kind of point that I just made. All of our choices all of our affections, all of our devotions, all of our stewardship, it really matters right now. Number four, one's, uh, one person's preparedness cannot transfer to another. And that's the comment that I was kind of making, where in this parable you have the five saying to the other five, hey, let us have some of your, uh, let us have some of your oil. And they say, if I give you some of mine, I won't have enough. And this is where we need to really just remember that like us being in the word, and us living a life before the Lord, and us having our own witness, 
and us being being a disciple of Jesus. We can't live off of somebody else's discipleship, and we need to remember that. And number five, our decisions in this life are permanent. You know, when you look at the end here, Jesus says to the five foolish virgins when they come late and the door's locked and it says, they say, hey, let us in, Lord, Lord, let us in. And he says, I don't even know you, right? So this really reveals that like they're locked out. And Jesus has said this several times. And again, I've talked to you about this before, but there's this version or this idea. It's not a good theology. It's more of an ideology. Uh, It's man's ideology that we think that um, somehow what happens in the next life isn't as permanent. Like we're going to have another shot, you know, post-mortem salvation is available. That is absolutely not what Jesus teaches. He doesn't teach it anywhere. You have to find this weird cryptic code that like somehow um, if you don't do what you should in this life, that there will be an opportunity in the next life because the gates of heaven are open. I've heard all of this mess all of this really strange theology where people will take a passage of Revelation and they'll take some kind of ambiguous statement that Jesus makes and say, see, there's like really this hope that even after you die, that you can still enter the gates of heaven. You can still come and be with Jesus. Well, show me where that is because Jesus seems to say almost every time that those that were foolish come to the door and say, hey, what about us? And he says, I never knew you. And they're locked out from the wedding feast, which by the way, is the kingdom of God. So we see this very sober reality that our decisions are permanent. And this is a scary thing. Like this should put the fear of God in us. Like we have to be not only living our life for Jesus, but we've got to realize that everybody around us Like they're either going to be participating in the kingdom of God or they're not. There is no post-mortem salvation. There's no afterlife where we get another shot, where we get another opportunity. That's not reality. That's not what Jesus taught. And I don't know why anybody ever teaches that. I've heard people teach it, but it's just falsehood and it's false doctrine. Now, here's um, here's the interesting thing. If you don't get like what it means to wait, to watch, to pray, to expect, that's okay because Jesus further illustrates and teaches what it actually means because he goes into the parable of the talents. Now, let me go ahead and read that to you and we'll close with that because this is what it looks like for us to watch and pray. He says, for it is just like a man, verse 14, who, uh, about to go on a journey who called his slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more, but he received that one talent. But the one who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted me five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more for you. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many more things. And the one also had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, 
reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See what you have is yours. Now, I just want to illustrate, or I want to point out this, what Jesus is trying to illustrate here by, by kind of exaggerating what this guy had done. This guy is putting it back on his master. He's, he's, before he even says what he has, before he even says what he's done, he puts it back on his master and he says, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were somebody that, you know, you, you didn't, you know, you were reaping where you didn't even scatter seed. He's putting it right back on his master. And he was like, I was afraid of you because I knew what you were like. And because he does that, he starts to excuse himself for not doing anything with what he was given. And this is really important because excuses do not get our way, do not get us out of these eternal consequences. And that's really important. Once again, very sober moment here. Verse 26, but his master answered him and said to him, you wicked slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. And I, I actually believe the interpretation, even what he does have will be taken away. I actually believe that that's a reference to his life. That's just my opinion. Um, his life, even what he does have will be taken away from him. This is, this is our lives. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus has referred to the outer darkness as that place beyond the city gates where the, the garbage dump, basically. And this was the illustration of what hell, Gehenna, Hades, was actually like. And so it's a very serious, permanent reality. So what are we talking about today? Jesus gives us the parable of the ten virgins. Five were ready, five were not. Jesus helps us to understand that the five who were not ready, even though in the last second they tried to get ready, they still could not participate in the kingdom of God. And so then Jesus makes the comment and he says, you do not know the day or the hour, which implies live your life in a way where you're ready. Live your life in a way where you're waiting and expecting. Then Jesus goes in and he talks about the talents. This is the parable of the talents. We usually use the parable of the talents to talk about our gifts, skills, and ministries and abilities, when in reality it's referring to, it used to be weights and then it was coinage. Jesus is simply making this statement that this, the, the master entrusts something precious um, into this, his, the lives of his slaves and his servants. And he goes on a long journey. And he expects for them to invest it in some way that when he returns, what he gave them has multiplied because he didn't give it to them for themselves. He gave it to them so that they would use it and give more to their master. The whole point is that they were watching, they were waiting, they were living in such a way with what they had been given so that they could give it back to their master when their master returned and they would be able to do so with interest. Now, now, I want you to see this because that's what watching, wait, waiting, praying, and expecting looks like. That you and I have been given our lives 
And as those that are followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the Word of God speaking to us and definitely supposed to speak through us. We've been given the Word. We've been given the Spirit. We've been given the knowledge of His will that this life is all about the Lordship of Jesus. This life, the highest value. Now, if you're listening to me, don't tune off right now. I need you to hear me on this. In this life, our highest value is to bring people to Jesus Christ. It is to actually help people understand the good news of Jesus Christ and disciple them. This life is not about being good, nice people. This life is not about having an abundance, whatever that means. All of that is a bonus that we get to enjoy the flourishing of family. We get to enjoy all kinds of beauty and creation. We get to have great times of joy and celebration. We get to, all of that is wonderful. But Jesus brings this sober reality that this life that we have as human beings is just a vapor. It's a breath. And the purpose of this life, the highest value of this life is that we would live it in such a way to bring people to Christ and that everything we have, time, talent, treasure, is to be used for the sole purpose of being able to offer back to our master when he returns interest because he gave us life and everything that we have is to be used for his will and for his purposes. And that is what we give to him when he returns. For some, he says, they'll, they're, they're given five talents and they can invest that and they'll have five more. For some, it's two and for some, it's one. It's not, it doesn't matter how much we have. What matters is what we did with what we have. That's what Jesus is trying to point out here. That's the teaching. The teaching is that there are people who will do something with what they have and they will have more to give to their master. They lay it down. They give it back to him because it was a stewardship that they were entrusted with. That's the important point. What I want to remind us of today is that our life has to be strapped to the person and the purpose of Jesus. And I'm concerned. I mean, if you said, Pastor Ben, what are your concerns about the church worldwide or just the American church? My concern is that we have turned our lives into something other than what Jesus actually wants us to be about. That our life is missional. It is actually about doing His work, doing His will, sharing His word, and being advocates of His good news. Not everybody's an evangelist. Nobody should feel guilty about how much they haven't done. But all of us should be watching and waiting and focusing on his return. And what does that mean? That means that whatever we have, time, talent, and treasure, whatever we have is to be given to and for the purpose of Jesus in our life, which means that every day that we live, that we've got to live with this sober reality before God, the fear of God in our lives. Am I living in such a way in keeping with his precious promises, his truths, his will, his word, and his way? And if that's not the case, repentance fills that place so that we can serve and worship Him as He deserves, that we stand before God today because we know we're going to stand before God tomorrow. That's our eschatology. I don't know the day and I don't know the hour, but what I do know is that every day of my life I am living for Jesus. And if that's the case, I will not shrink back in His coming because I'm living in such a way where I am ushering in 
the Messiah. I am ushering in the person and the purpose of Jesus. I am awaiting his coming and I am spending his money. I am spending his time. I am spending what he's given me on his purposes. And if I know that I'm doing that, I've got no concerns whatsoever. I've got no regrets. I don't, I'm not a perfect person. You're not a perfect person. But this is what we're accountable to. This is what we're responsible for. And Jesus, after that passage, goes into talking about the judgment, the, the sober reality that Jesus is coming back with his holy angels. And it's like from the east to the west, like a lightning bolt across the sky, everyone will see Jesus come. This is going to happen. Jesus is going to return. And it's like people will live their lives as though that's not going to happen. It's like Christianity becomes something other than what it is is that Christians literally live for and live like the Christ, their Messiah, who revealed himself, who lived a life on earth for 33 years, showed us what it's like to be rightly related to the Father, and he, get, he committed into our hands and hearts the ministry that he started, the message that he shared with us. He's given us back our life, and so we lay it down for him. What does it look like to be watching and waiting? It doesn't look like us just being people of prayer. That might be part of what we do, but it doesn't just look like that. It means that whatever we've been given, whatever we've been allotted to in life, whether that's a little or a lot, it doesn't matter. What matters is, are we giving it back to Him for His glory and for His purposes? And friends, don't just say yes. Please don't say yes. Just say, this is what I'm committed to. Lord, help me to do that every day of my life. The thing, the, the, some of the greatest deception that we can ever have is to assume that we're already where we're supposed to be, that we're already doing everything we're supposed to do. You don't need to answer it that way. And you don't need to say that, nor do you have to just shrink back in guilt. Like, I suck. I'm terrible. I'm not doing anything the right way. I don't serve Jesus the way I'm supposed to. Guilt is not your master. The reason that Jesus came, died, rose again, is so that we could be rightly related to the Father. We could have relationship with Him restored. Now, the reason that we are in this life, He cleansed us of all of our sin. He cleansed us from the guilt of our sin, the guilty conscience that's constantly mindful of how terrible we are. We can we realize that Jesus paid for that, and now we are the righteousness of God in Christ. So what? So that we can go around saying, I'm saved and sanctified, bless God, I'm going to be with Him in heaven? No! So that we don't have to spend this life worrying about how sinful we are. We know that we are cleansed. We know that we are redeemed. We know that we don't have to live our life filled with guilt. Now we have to live filled with purpose so that we, we can serve God with a full heart, with joy, knowing that other people don't know what we know or have what we have, and we don't have to constantly be worried about our sin because it's been paid for. We're not doing good works because we want God to be uh, pleased with our works in such a way that we can receive salvation. That's already been taken care of. Now we live out of our salvation in such a way where we give freely as it's been freely given to us. But we spend too much time worrying about and being guilty about the sin that has already been cleansed. Jesus already took care of that. And so we've got to be watching, waiting, praying, expecting, giving away everything that God has given to us without fear, without regret. This is so vital. This is our eschatology. Our eschatology is that he's coming and I'm living in light of his coming. That's my eschatology. 
People say, what do you think about when he's coming? Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? Well, I'm definitely not pre-trib and I don't think I'm post-trib, so I'm somewhere in the middle there. But the reality is it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is how I live. And we get too consumed with and concerned with all of the rhetoric and the narrative and all of the you know, extras, things we may not know and probably cannot know to some degree. We can only know what's in Scripture and some of that's still being unfolded to us. But what we do know, what we must know, is that we've got to live in light of His coming. And so here's the question. Are you living in light of His coming with everything that you have and everything that you are? And, I, and I'm not asking for your guilt. We're not asking for guilt. What we're asking for is, is there this, this sense in you like I've, that you wake up every day like, I have to live this day in the fullness of what Jesus intended. Like, I've got to give everything. I'm literally a living sacrifice. I, I believe with all of my heart that we're going to have revival when the people of God can finally humble themselves and surrender day by day by day, knowing they're saved, not surrender for salvation. I'm talking to Christians now. Not surrender for salvation, but we know that we are in Him. We know that He's cleansed us of our sin. We know that we have the precious Holy Spirit living in us. Now, instead of assuming that's enough, like, and we're just going to be moral good people, but every day we live with this constant burden of giving everything that we have away, knowing that other people's eternity is not secure. Ours is. Are you living every day for Jesus so instead of us saying, yes, absolutely, 100%, let's wake up every day and say, Lord, I just give you my life today. Whatever you want to do, I just want to live in light of your coming. This, this is so important for each one of us. This is how we live. And so I want to encourage you in that. So come, Lord Jesus. But may that not be a statement that gets us out of living our everyday life, all that we are, all that we have, for Him and His glory. May that be a statement in light of us absolutely laying everything down each and every day for Him and His glory. Amen? Well, God bless you today. Let's go ahead and pray into that, that the Lord would open our eyes and our hearts so that we could continue to be everything He wants us to be in the life that He's given to us. Father, we do thank you today. I thank you for all of my friends at the Daily Word here as we have this time together. We just ask for you to open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that our eschatology would be as simple as we would live in light of your coming, watching, waiting, expecting, ushering in this second coming that where you're coming back in all of your glory. And we, we know that we're living each and every day, giving away what you've given to us. We thank you for life. We thank you for breath. We thank you for whatever you've put into our hands, whatever you've given us in our homes, the stewardship that we have, Lord, may we be good stewards. And uh, we thank you for these passages today that give us a sober reality of how we're to position ourselves. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.